are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I want to start with a question this morning, okay? question is, what do you believe? So you may say, put that in context for me. I, I really mean, what do you believe? What, what do you believe about God? Do you believe that in the beginning there was God? Do you believe that God created? Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that Jesus is God come to earth in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus is more than a man who walked on the earth, but He is the Son of the living God? Do you believe that He was crucified on a cross to cover our sin? Do you believe that on the third day He raised from the dead? Do you, the, do you believe that Jesus calls us to be part of His mission, to follow Him no matter what it costs us? So I think I'm just asking you this morning, what do you believe? And, and maybe the reason I'm asking that question is because I really want to talk to you about another question. And that question is, so what is the relationship between what we believe our theology, what we believe about God, our Christology, what we believe about Christ? What is the relationship to what we believe and how we live out our daily lives? So Ned and I were home not too long ago one evening and we were watching some videos of service men and women who came home after being on a tour of duty overseas and surprised their children. Like one was at a high school graduation and the daughter had no idea that her dad was there. And as she's walking across the stage and they call her name, they say, and also here to celebrate is Corporal and gave his name coming all the way from wherever he had been for the last year, and the daughter has this very shocked look on her face, and he walks out, and she just collapses into his arms, and Annette and I are just basket cases, you know. I think it's a certain age. You get to a certain age, you'll just cry with anybody about anything. <laughs> One of my favorite was this little girl out on a football field. I think she was cheerleading, and she sees her dad, and just to see her little face, we just, we just cried like crazy as she ran to her dad's arms. When a serviceman or woman says, the reason I serve my country, the reason I'm willing to do a tour of duty, duty rather, is because I believe in the values that my country stands for. You know what they're saying? They are saying that my belief informs my choices in life. What I believe informs my behavior. And so maybe this is the question I'm really trying to ask, and that is this. What you believe about the gospel, how does it influence your day-to-day -day existence? That's really what I'm asking. So what you believe in your heart about the gospel, how does that inform your day-to-day -day existence? And so here's what we find in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Two people, two people whose beliefs inform how they live their lives. So grab a Bible, will you? And turn to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, and I'm going to start reading with verse 19. 
If you didn't bring a Bible, there's probably one in front of you in the pew back, or you might find the words also on the screen this morning. You remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes on a missionary journey, number two, and he feels that God has given him a vision to go to Macedonia. He finds himself in a city called Philippi, and he shares the gospel with some people there. He baptizes some people. Sometimes he baptizes their whole house, their entire household. These people form this little community of faith that grows into a church. And a few years later, he writes back to them. Okay? And here's what he's writing here. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So you remember that Timothy was like his son in the faith. He was also like his representative. Sometimes when Paul couldn't go somewhere, he would send Timothy. That's the kind of, uh, you know, confidence that he had in him. Um, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So I'm going to send him, and he's going to come and minister to you and love on you. Uh, But then when he comes back, I'm going to get to hear how you're doing. And so I'm excited about that. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Now I want you to read the next few phrases with me, okay? In unison, you ready? For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy has proved himself. So think about that. You know that everybody else seems to look out for their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But Timothy, Timothy has proved himself. He is different than that. Somehow he has been able to reverse the order. Everybody else looks out for their own interests first. But somehow Timothy has been able to say, no, I'm looking out for the interest of Christ first. Then I look out for my interest. Because he is a son, because rather as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. You know, I'm in prison. I kind of need a helper, an ally. But I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I'm hoping I'm going to get out of prison and I'm either even going to see you myself before long. So let's go to the next paragraph and he shifts to talk about another guy. His name is Epaphroditus. Had I to do over, I would have named Morgan Epaphroditus, but I didn't know at the time. So, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So you sent Epaphroditus to watch over me. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you had heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him. Not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I've got enough sorrow being in prison. Can you imagine how bad I would have felt having you sent Epaphroditus to me to help me and he would have died because he came here? Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. (laughs) So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Now read these phrases with me. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. Wow. So I'm just reading about Timothy again up here. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He has reversed the order. His first priority is the interest of Jesus, then his own interest. And look at Epaphroditus. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life 
to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. He put his life on the line for the work of Christ. This is God's living word. His living word. Speaking to us today. Amen. Because we have a toddler in our family, I think that I'm more aware of toddlers these days. And, and I think you're going to learn a lot about human nature by looking at a toddler. I think they're awesome. When you come to this idea of self-awareness, they have none. You ever seen a toddler checking their hair in the mirror? They don't do that. They're not pulling and tugging and straightening and all of that. They don't, they don't do any of this stuff right here. They're never, never pulling and, you know. In fact, if it doesn't all meet, they don't care. So I'm constantly saying to myself, suck it in, suck it in. Toddlers, no, they just let it go. I love the way they walk around with that belly just out there, you know. Don't care at all. They're making no effort to, you know, pull it up, tuck it in. It's not like that. In fact, if you mention the word belly, they'll probably show you theirs. And I'm on level with you. If before I leave here today, one of you wants to show me your belly, I just think that's weird. I don't want to see your belly. But you've got to love that about a toddler, don't you? you just got to love it. No self-awareness whatsoever. They're also very kind in some ways. They share. After they stick a Cheerio in their mouth, they'll want to hand it to you. But sometimes they don't want to share it all. Sometimes they're extremely selfish. You ever notice that? I've watched a little toddler take one toy that they didn't want to play with at the time, hold it in their hand, and make themselves play with their toys with using only one hand just to keep you from getting the toy they don't want you to have. Because it is what? Yeah. Mine. And so just hold on to that toy forever. Glancing over once in a while to make sure you're not coming after it. They're selfish. Toddlers are selfish people. You learn a lot about human nature by looking at a toddler, I think. See, I believe, I believe that Jesus calls me to share in his mission. And his mission is really clear. His mission is, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I have something really great to share with people, have something really great to give people. It's free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it to get it. It's a gift, and I want to give it to people. I have come that anyone who believes in me should no longer live in darkness. I'm calling people out of darkness and delight. This is my mission. And when I get into the book of Philippians, man, I mean, this becomes so strong. Paul understands when it comes to mission, I have one primary goal. What is it? That the gospel is preached. That people hear about Jesus. And he says, the only way we're going to do it really, really well is if we are in unity. And the only way we find unity with one another is when we begin to look after each other's interest and not our own. And so what he is saying in reality is, is that we want to put the interest of others in front of ourselves. But what he's really saying is we put the interest of Jesus in front of everything because it's all about the primary goal. And when it comes to mission, that is telling people about Jesus. That's what he's saying. But here he says there is a problem with all of that process. You know what the problem is? We tend to look out for our own interest. We tend to keep the list in this order. 
my interests first, then maybe Jesus and others after that. I feel like in my own life, the most natural thing that I do is look out for my own interests. I was driving down Rockwell the other day and I come to the end of Rockwell and 39th and I see that little yellow building. You know that yellow building I'm talking about? Got a sign that just says donuts. Why, why waste words? I mean, you just need to say one thing, right? And I looked at that sign in that yellow building. I've been in that building before. And you know who I thought of would really love a donut when I saw that sign? Me. I'm always looking out for my interest. I'm always thinking about myself. I'm always taking care of myself. I'm always concerned about me. The most natural thing I think I do sometimes is just look out after my own interest. And Paul says, there's a problem with all of this whole process. And that is that we are so concerned about our own interests. We're always looking out for ourselves. You know what he's saying? We are selfish. But he says, there's a guy named Timothy. And I'm going to send him to you. And he has been able by the grace of God to reverse the order. He has put his list in a different order. And he does not only look out for his own interest, but he looks out for the interest of Jesus, and then he looks out for his own interest. He's got the list in the right order. Here's here's the really good news. There's a remedy for our self-centeredness. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us sanctifying us, setting us apart, changing our nature. (laughs) There is a remedy. Dealing with our selfishness. The Holy Spirit reproducing in us the character of Christ who put everybody else's interest in front of him to the point that he said... They can beat me with rods and they can whip me with a whip and they can kill me on a cross because I'm not concerned about my interest. I'm concerned about all of your interest. So what I want you to know is that there has to be a relationship between what we believe about the gospel and how we live. And the reason I'm talking about it is because there is a problem. We tend to look out after our own interest. So what do you do? I think that's the real question. Let's talk about this passage and learn what you do, okay? So uh, I was uh, in my little home office the other day. It was about, oh, maybe 5.30 or so. And uh, I got to thinking about uh, a group of people who have traveled over to Paraguay from our church for a missions trip. And I thought about them and I thought, you know, if they're at dinner time, it's an hour later at least, uh, I might be able to text with them because they would have Wi-Fi. And so I did, and they responded quickly. And so I just immediately hit FaceTime, and I called Barbie Moore. And I said, hey, Barbie. And there she was. Hey, Pastor Rick, we're getting ready to eat dinner here at Barry and Charlie's. And I said, well, let me see everybody. And so she passes the phone over to Larry Redwine. And I said, Larry, how's Paraguay? He said, it's going great. And he passed it to his wife, Alice. Alice, how's Paraguay? It's going great. And on around to Barry, and how's, how are we doing? And I said, oh... I think I can almost smell that homemade bread Charlie's making. Can you all bring me some of that back when you come? Um, Just awesome to be able just to talk to them in real time. Not so in Paul's day. You know what this letter is really about? These two paragraphs I've read to you this morning. It's about travel plans for communication. 
What do you learn when somebody's writing travel plans and communication? So it's Family Worship Sunday, right? So I've been going through this morning, getting a bunch of kids saying, will you come and help me? And some of them have said yes. So if you're going to come and help me, come on up, guys. Okay, come running. You can run right up here just as fast as you can. I think i got seven or eight or so. Come on, jump up and come quickly. Here we go. So here, look at March. I like that. Here we go, right down here. How are we doing? Okay, one, two. How many I got? I've only got four, five, six, seven. The little girl drawing, would you want to be eight? Come on, jump up here really fast, okay? So who have I got? So come on, come on, here we go. So I think I need you over here, okay? And I want all of you guys to stand right here, okay? Stand right here, right here by this speaker. Just kind of huddle around it. You ready? Okay. And then you, uh, Jackson, you're over here. You want to stand over here and you come with me, all right? And you go over here with these guys. You will be, okay, you will be Epaphroditus, okay? All right. What's your name? Uh, your other name now uh, is Epaphroditus. So you're going to be who? Epaphroditus is correct. That's right. Okay. And you, come over here, will be, um, let's see, you will be um, Timothy. Would you get down on one knee? Just one knee. There you go. Okay. And um, Jackson, would you just kind of put a hand on Timothy's shoulder? Because uh, I wanted you to be Paul. Would that be okay? Okay. Well, let me double check if that's okay because Paul is in prison. Is it still okay? You sure? Um, he may not get out for a while. You still okay being Paul? He said okay. All right, so let's do it. All right, great. Come on up. So. Okay. Okay, Jackson. He's going to go look for the key because he hasn't had it for a while. You're going to go with him, but your parents are going to see you tomorrow, okay? No, I'm teasing. You okay with this? All right. So you got Timothy, you got Paul. Who's Epaphroditus over here? Raise your hand real high. There we go. You know what you guys are? The Philippians. So on three, I want you to say as loud as you can, we are the Philippians. You ready? One, two, three. We are the Philippians. Very good. Very good. Aren't they great? All right. Here we go. So here's what's happening in the story just to make sure that everybody gets it and understands it. All right. So the Philippians, they... Okay. Let me help you out here a little bit. So let's see. Take a couple of those. Take a couple of those. You got some? All right, here we go. Okay, so Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus decides he's going to take an offering from the Philippians. So can you take an offering, Epaphroditus? See if they got any money to give? All right. Go ahead. There we go, yeah. (laughs) Get as much as you can. All right, here we go. They send Epaphroditus all the way to Ephesus. It's about 300 miles. So you ready to send him to Ephesus? This is Ephesus over here. Okay, here he goes. And Epaphroditus gives a gift to Paul, who is in prison. What happened over here? <laughs> they didn't give all the offering? What is that? So here's what happens. It's really bad, though. When Epaphroditus gets to Ephesus, he gets really sick. Do you mind laying down? Okay, lay down. He gets really sick. It gets worse. He almost dies. Could you close your eyes? 
Good news, he gets better. Jump up. And so Paul says, I'm going to send you back to the Philippians with a letter. Can you give that to him? All right. So he makes the journey all the way back to Philippi. And he reads the letter. So open it. And all together, who's the leader? I think it's going to be you, Abigail. Read it out loud, everybody together. Okay, everybody can see it? Can you read it together? Okay, here we go. Uh, it's got to be louder. I plan to send Timothy to you soon. So here's the idea. I'm still in prison. I need Timothy close by. He's my son in the faith. I met him in Lystra on my second missionary journey. He's been my traveling companion. He's awesome. Couldn't do without him. Soon as I think I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to send Timothy. And so here's what it would look like. Timothy would take off and go to Philippi. Okay? <laughs> He's going to ask them how they're doing. They're going to answer him. He's going to come back to Philippi. He's going to tell Paul how they're doing. They're good. And so that's the story. Can you give him a big hand, huh? Okay. Thank you for helping. Thank you for helping. Go see that man and he'll take your cuffs off. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think it was awesome. I was going to give you candy, but I figured your parents thought you've had enough candies for the last few days. So thanks so much. So that's what happened in Philippi. They're awesome. They're awesome. Just awesome. So what do we learn from a story that's really about travel plans, right? That's what it boils down to regarding communication. Since they don't have iPhones, they can't FaceTime. That's how they communicated with each other. But in it, you learn something that's pretty powerful. And here's what you learn. So we have this family, the Hawes family. I mentioned a while ago there will be a fundraiser for them. And there's several throughout the next few weeks. And you can go on caringbridge.org, caringbridge, and type in the name Hudson Hawes, and you can keep up with his progress. So Hudson was playing football for Bethany High School a week ago. And just a few minutes into the game, on Friday night, he tackled a kid. And in doing so, broke his, nut, his neck. So vertebrae four and five, and then one in his lower back. Spinal cord uh, experienced severe trauma. Hudson is not being able to feel or move anything below his chest. And he is making some good progress with his arms. His breathing is going well. And he's got every tube and every vent off and all of that except a feeding tube. He's trying to get an appetite back. Yesterday he ate some clam chowder, drunk a little bit of sweet tea, and ate, ta- and, and ate one tater tot. And when his friend said, Hudson, what did the tater tot taste like? In true Hudson form, he said, a tater tot. So, <laughs> on Thursday, it looks like they're going to be flying him to Denver, Colorado, to Craig Hospital, a hospital that is there singly for the purpose of helping people like Hudson with spinal cord injury. So everybody's praying for a miracle. Everybody's asking God to do powerful things in Hudson's life. But I get up every morning and I do my devotions. And one of the things that I do is read some of the journal entries that Tim writes. How many of you are reading those? Lots of you. I just thought I'd pull a few this morning. Never in my life have I felt as though my heart 
would be torn from my chest. And so this is a, this is a dad, you know. And you, and you hear his heart, but you also see beside the pain the hope. We serve a God who brings life, he says, who heals those things that are broken or dead. <laughs> and you see the pain again. So we ask you to join us and pray any moment that the Holy Spirit lays it on your hearts when you wake or lay down to sleep or when you're driving down the road or when the Holy Spirit brings His name to your heart. Please, please, please pray for Hudson. A lot of his writing is done in the early morning hours when Hudson is asleep. It's 3.50 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Tim writes, Hudson has had a rough night. He has a bunch of crud in his lungs and the therapy they're doing to get it out is horrible. He actually wrote some other words. Uh, He is running a fever. He has um, not complained once. This kid is amazing. I am so proud to call him my son. So many of our prayers have been answered. We prayed that Hudson's spinal cord would not be severed. It wasn't. We prayed the neurosurgeon would perform surgery immediately because he felt that it would help the situation. That's exactly what he did. We prayed that Hudson would come off his ventilation. He's off. I've been reminded over and over again that we serve a God who cares, who wants to be involved, who is still in the business of healing and restoring things that we believe are impossible. Jesus tells us that God is a loving Father. We don't have to cut deals with Him. Loving fathers don't operate like that. Isaiah 46.3, he says, has been sticking with me all day. These are just different entries. Listen to me. I have cared for you since you were born, Hudson. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I have made you. I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. He writes, Hudson has some unbelievable friends. The visits by his football and school brothers has been so uplifting. He wishes he could see everyone at once, but logistically it's a no-go. It has warmed this dad's heart to see my son smile and laugh like he did with his friends this week. So let me read one more thing, okay? We know God is going to use this to expand His kingdom. We are already getting reports that people have asked Jesus into their hearts because they have seen God's church in action. They have seen God's people pour out their love on us. And they want to be a part of something like that. And then he writes three more words with an exclamation point. It has started. So you may say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You guys have a kid that has a spinal cord injury. You need to be concerned about your kid. And they would say, well, we are. But in our hearts always is a concern that Jesus is being shared. Because we're Christian. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our beliefs inform our behavior. And so we have great concern for Hudson more than you will ever understand. But there is always a concern, always a concern that Jesus is being shared with others. See, Paul says it like this. I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy is one of those people who has somehow been able to get the list in the right order. Everybody looks out for their own interest. 
Not the interest of Jesus, but Timothy has proved himself. He has put the list in the correct order. Yes, he's concerned about his interests, but he puts the interest of Jesus first. And boy, think about Epaphroditus. This guy's got the list in the right order because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life for the gospel. And so he's not saying, oh no, I can't let anything bad happen to me. He's saying, oh no, it's not about me. It's about putting Jesus first and what concerns him. See, what I want you to know this morning is that what we believe must influence the way that we live our daily lives. And the reason we're being challenged by that is because we tend to put our own interests first, not the interest of Jesus. And what we must do is live according to the way we believe. So you got to dream with me and say, what if? What if the concerns of Jesus became what my life is about? And what if I put those concerns above my own concerns? We're not talking comfortable here. We're not talking easy. We're talking wherever He calls me, whatever He asks of me. What could He do through me? I, I know that I could live my life out saying whatever money I make is just really for me to live a more comfortable life. And whatever time I have, I can just watch some more sports and I can play some more golf and I can eat some really good food and I can take some great trips and I can stare at a screen a lot of hours in a day but God has called us higher He has called us to so much more you know the reason I'm not just preaching to you and I'm preaching to me is because I think we all know that our lives can be a little out of control. We, we, we live in an era where somebody may go to church a couple of times a month and say, that's, that's good. We don't really apologize. We just say, we're really busy. The list has gotten out of order in a lot of ways. That's just one. We've become so influenced by our culture. I'll kind of close with a little story that my friend Steve sent me last week. A Methodist bishop from Uganda, his life was so endangered that the people who loved him most said you've got to get out of the country for a little while he was risking his life every day and so and so they got him out of the country they sent him to the US for a little while to travel and to tell about what was going on in Uganda in Methodist churches and so one day he in his travels he found himself at Duke University at that beautiful chapel where Will Willeman has been the dean of the chapel not now but has been and at that time, Willeman was there, the dean of the chapel. And so he showed him the beautiful chapel. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but an incredible edifice. Maybe nothing compares to it in the southern part of our country. 
They walk through the chapel. The, the building is unbelievable. It's uh, three organs. You see our organ pipes, three organs, tombs with inside the chapel. I mean, it's just one of the be- beautiful Gothic churches in, in our country. And the, and the bishop looked around and he said, I've never, I've never seen a church like this ever. And Willeman said he surprised me by the question that he asked me. So how many baptisms do you do in a year? And he said, sheepishly, I kind of muttered and stumbled out the answer. I don't know, maybe three. Three? Did you say three? He said, in Uganda, we have nothing like this. Most of our churches are made out of mud and straw. They're huts. Most of our people are in prison. It's pretty fertile ground for evangelism. Many days we celebrate three baptisms an hour. He looked around that church and he said to Willeman, In Uganda, we're going to pray for you. What if, what if, what if we were able to somehow get that list in the right order and the things that concern Jesus became the things that concern us most and our own interest came after that? Just dream, what would Jesus do through us? Amen? Okay, Harlan's going to come and we're going to sing. I want you to stand with me. Will you do that? It's really a song of commitment. It's an offering, God, what we have. And so I think this morning it might be that, that you and I would say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you look into my heart? And would you show me where that I tend to put my interest above the interest of Jesus? I think that's I think that's the prayer to pray this morning. Okay. So God, show me where I'm getting the list out of order. Show me where I'm putting my interest above the interest of Jesus. Lord, help me to be concerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about. Maybe this morning that there are other things in your life that you really want to pray about. And you can, you can come this morning and pray about those things too. Sometimes we just need to come and get on our knees and tell Jesus what we're going through. He's given us permission to ask. You can do that today. It's not the wrong time to do it. If you need healing, you can ask Jesus for healing. There be pastors here who would be glad to anoint you and pray for you. If you want to come to know Jesus today. You know what amazes me is there are people who say, I can follow a Jesus that asked me for that kind of a commitment, but I don't want a flimsy Jesus. <laughs> if this morning you want to commit your life to following Jesus, if you want to be forgiven of your sin, 
you would like for him to change your heart. If you want to be born again, this morning you can come and confess your sins. Say, Lord, I want to be born of your spirit. So we'll sing. And as we sing, I want you to feel free to come and pray. And if you feel like the Lord is calling you, then I want you to feel obligated to come and pray. Okay? Let's sing. We lift our voices. We lift our hands. We lift our prayer that I have for you this morning and the blessing that I will give you is that may the Lord, the grace rather of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.